Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Dark Academy podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed your week. I sure did. I watched the CISA Hotel special by Ghost Adventures and pretty good. Um, I also watched that documentary series on Netflix that was also about the Elisa Lamb one. I wanted to give you guys an update about that one. Um, nothing really new in, uh, that came out like information-wise. Um, about the same type of information that I put out when I did the Elisa Lamb episode. So nothing really interesting, interesting here. But this episode, today we're going to be talking about a very infamous serial killer. You guys are you guys are gonna know him the minute the minute I mention his name or the minute that you see this episode. Today we're talking about the Night Stalker, aka Rich Ramirez. Now, I wanted to talk about this one for multitude of reasons because one, um, his cases and him as a person is a little interesting. Um, if you're into the macabre, obviously, um, you find him. You find him pretty interesting. Obviously, you already know who he is. And I know this is gonna be a very generic episode, but you know, it, it'd be, it'd be, I thought it'd be really, really cool to talk about. Um, so t- let's get started, shall we? Ricardo Ramirez, born February 29th, 1960, known as Richard Ramirez, was an American serial killer, serial rapist, kidnapper, child abuser, and burglar. His highly publicized home invasion and murder, murder crime spree terrorized the residents of the greater Los Angeles area and later the residents of San Francisco, the San Francisco Bay Area. From 1984 until 1985, he used a wide variety of weapons including handguns, knives, a machete, a tire, iron, a hammer. He also made use of satanic imagery prior to his capture. Ramirez was dubbed the Valley Intruder as his attacks were first clustered in the San Gabriel Valley and the Night Stalker by the news media. In 1989, Ramirez was convicted of 13 counts of murder, 5 attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. The judge who upheld Ramirez's 19 death sentences remarked that his deeds exhibited cruelty, uh, callousness, and viciousness beyond any human understanding. Ramirez never expressed any remorse for his crimes. He passed away June 7, 2013 from B-cell lymphoma while waiting execution on California's death row. Now, before we get into his, um, before we get into his his death and not his death, I'm sorry, his early life and then his murders and his victim count and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I do want to say that this could be very sensitive to some people. So if you're very sensitive to this stuff, I suggest you don't watch this episode. Um, if you don't like getting into any details, um, I'm gonna try not to 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 go as many details as possible, meaning I'll try not to say any, um, um, words that'll offend people, but let's get started into the early life and education, but I just wanted to put that out there, so, you know, I don't want anyone getting offended. Early life and education. Ramirez was born in El Paso, Texas on February 29th, 1960. The youngest of Julian and Mercedes Ramirez's five children, his father Julian, a Mexican national and former uh, Chudad Juarez policeman who later became a laborer on the uh, Topeka and Santa Fe Railway, was prone to fits of anger that often resulted in physical abuse. 
As a 12-year-old Richard, or Richie, as he was known to the family, was strongly influenced by her, his older cousin, Mike, or Mike, uh, Miguel or Mike Ramirez, a decorated Green Beret combat veteran who often boasted of his gruesome exploits and abuses during the Vietnam War and shared photos of his victims, including Vietnamese women he had raped. In some of the photos, Mike posed with the severed head of a woman he had abused. Richard, who had begun smoking marijuana at the age of 10, bonded with Mike over joints and, and gory war stories. Mike taught his young cousins some of his military skills, such as killing with stealth. Around this time, Ramirez began to seek escape from his father's violent temper by sleeping in a local cemetery. Richard was present on May 4th, 1973, when his cousin uh, Mike fatally shot his wife, Jesse, in the face during a domestic argument. After the shooting, Richard became sullen and withdrawn from his family and peers. Later that year, Richard moved into his, uh, with his older sister, Ruth, and her husband, Roberto, an obsessive peeping Tom, who took uh, Richie along his nocturnal exploits. Richard also began using LSD and cultivating the interests of Satanism. Mike was found not guilty of Jesse's murder by reason of insanity and was released in 1977 after four years of incarceration at the Texas State Mental Hospital. His influence over R Ramirez continued. The adolescent Ramirez began to melt his uh, burgeoning sexual fantasies with violence, including, uh, including forced bondage and rape. While still in school, he took a job at a local Holiday Inn where he used his passkey to rob stealing, uh, sleeping patrons. His employment ended abruptly after Ramirez attempted to rape a woman in her hotel room before her husband returning, returned to find them. Although the husband beat Ramirez senseless at the scene, criminal charges were dropped when the couple who lived out of state declined to return to testify against him. Ramirez dropped out of Jefferson High School in the ninth grade. At the age of 22, he moved to California where he settled permanently. So as you could tell, uh, obviously, if you're into the macabre, you know about Mike Ramirez and him being an influence on Richard and telling him how to how to kill and 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 how to how to basically use military sense to uh, kill someone. And it sucks because that's where it mostly starts. It mostly starts in the home, um, but sometimes it just really doesn't. Sometimes it just happens. You just don't know. Mental health is a very sensitive topic, and I made that very well aware on my last episode how sensitive it is. But it's really sad to see this, you know what I mean? Because, you know, so some people out there, you know, they're, they're just good people, and they just... I mean, obviously, Richard is not one of those people. We, we, we know that. <laughs> I'm just saying in, in general. But anyway, we're going to continue on to the murders. Um, very sensitive topic. Just letting, just putting that out there. I don't want to offend anybody. Um, so let's get into it. On April 10th, 1984, Ramirez murdered nine, nine year old Chinese American Mei Le, uh, Leung in the basement of a hotel where he was living at in the Tenderloin district of San Francisco. He raped and beat the girl before stabbing her to death and hanging her body from a pipe. This Ramirez's first known killing was not identified as being connected to the subsequent crime spree until 2009, when Ramirez's DNA was matched to a sample obtained at the, this crime scene. In 2016, officials disclosed evidence of a second suspect identified through a DNA sample retrieved from the scene who is believed to have been present at Leong's murderer. A murder. Authorities have not publicly identified the uh, suspect described as being a juvenile at the time. And have not brought charges due to the lack of evidence. So here are the Night Stalker's crimes. 
June 28th, 1984, Jenny Vincao, Glassell Park. March 17th, 1985, uh, Maria Hernandez, Dale Yoshi o Ozaki, Rosemed, Hernandez survived the attack. March 17th, 1985, Sa Leon, uh, Veronica Yu, Monetary Park. March 27th, 1985, Vincent and Maxine Zazara, unincorporated area north of Witter. Witter. Uh, May 14th, 1985, Bill and Le uh, Lillian Doi, Monetary Park, Lillian survived the attack. May 29th, 1985, Mabel, Ma, Bell, and Florence and Nettie Lang, uh, Monarova, both survived the attack, but Bell later died of her injuries. Uh, May 30th, 1985, Carol, Kyle, and her 11-year-old son, Burbank, both survived the attack. July 2nd, 1985, Mary Louise Canyon, Arcada, uh, uh, Los Angeles. I'm sorry. This is all in Los Angeles. I'm sorry. Uh, Whitney Bennett, <laughs> June 5th, 1985, Whitney, uh, Whitney Bennett, Saria, uh, Saria uh, Madre, both survived the attack. I hope you liked my little Spanish accent. Uh, <laughs> July 7th, 1985, Joyce Nelson, Monetary Park. July 7th, 1985, saw Sophie Dickman, Monetary Park, survived the attack. July 20th, 1985, Leela and Maxon Kidning, Glendale, died. Um, July 20th, 1985, Chinyarong and uh, some... some I can't pronounce the, and they're the eight-year-old son, Sun Valley, Sun Kid and Sun survived the attack. August 6th, 1985, Chris and Virginia Peterson, Northridge, both survived the attack. August 8th, 1985, Sakinya and Elias Obwath and their eight, three-year-old son, Diamond Bar, uh, Sakinya and Sun survived the attack. August 18th, 1985, Peter and Barbara Pan, San Francisco, Barbara survived the attack. August 24th, 1985, James Remember Jr. and the family, Mission Viejo, aborted attack, no injuries. August 24th, 1985, Bill Carnes and Inz Eckrickson, uh, Mission Viejo, both survived the attack. Wow. On June 28th, 1984, we're starting off with the... Uh, Details that are going into the, the to the to the murders again. I will try to not say as much as um, to get banned off of Spotify. So just putting that out there. <laughs> and I'm sorry if you guys get offended personally as well. Um, I just want to make sure just to triple just to triple check it. On June 28, 1984, 79-year-old Jenny Vincow was brutally murdered in her apartment in Glasgow uh, Park, Los Angeles. She had been stabbed repeatedly while asleep in her bed, and her throat slashed so deeply that she was nearly decapitated. Ramirez's fingerprint was found on a mesh screen he removed to gain access through an open window. On March 17, 1985, Ramirez attacked 22-year-old Maria Hernandez outside of her home in Rosemead, California, shooting her in the face with a .22 caliber handgun after she pulled into her garage. She survived when the bullet ricocheted off the keys she held in her hands as she lifted them to protect herself. Inside the house, her roommate, Dale Yoshi uh, Akazaki, age 34, heard the gunshot and ducked behind a counter when she saw Ramirez enter the kitchen. When she raised her head... When she raised her head, he shot her once in the forehead, killing her. Within an hour 
of arriving Roseman home invasion, Ramirez pulled 30-year-old Sai Leon uh, Veronica Yu out of her car in Monetary Park and shot her twice with a .2 caliber handgun and fled. She was pronounced dead upon the arrival of the hospital at the hospital. The two murderers and the attempt and attempted third in a single day attracted extensive coverage from the news media, who dubbed the attacker described as a curly curly hair with bulging eyes and uh, and wide space rotting teeth, the walking killer and the valley intruder. On March 27, 1985, Ramirez entered a home that he had burglarized a year earlier just outside of Whittier, California at approximately 2 a.m. and killed the sleeping and killed the sleeping Vincent Charles Zazara, age 64, with a gunshot to his head from a .22 caliber handgun. Sazara's wife, Maxine Lavinia Sazara, age 44, was awakened by the gunshot and Ramirez beat her and bound her hands while demanding her to know where her valuables are. While he ransacked the room, Maxine escaped her bonds and retrieved a shotgun from under the bed, and was, which was not loaded. The infuriated Ramirez shot her three times with a .22, then fled, uh, fetched a large carving knife from the kitchen. He mutilated her body by stabbing her several times, then gouged her eyes out and placed them in a jewelry box, which he took and left. The autopsy determined the mutilations were post-mortem. Vincent and Maxine's bodies were discovered by their son, Peter. Ramirez left footprints from a pair of Avia sneakers in the flower beds, which the police photographed and cast. This was virtually the only evidence that the police had at the time. Bullets found at the scene were matched to those at previous attacks, and the police determined that the serial killer was at large. On May 14, 1985, Ramirez returned to Monetary Park and entered the home of Bill Doy, age 66, and his disabled wife Lillian, age 56. Surprising, surprising Doy in his bedroom, Ramirez shot him in the face with a .22 semi-automatic pistol as Doy went for his own head and gun. After beating the, mor the mortally wounded man into unconsciousness, Ramirez entered Lillian's bedroom, bound with her thumb cuffs, then raped her after he had ransacked the home for valuables. Bill Doy died of his injuries while in the hospital. On the night of May 29, 1985, Ramirez drove a stolen car uh, to Monarova and stopped at the house of Mabel Ma Bell, aged 83, and her disabled sister, Florence Nettie Lang, age 81. Finding a, a hammer in the kitchen, he bludgeoned and bound Lang in her room, then bound and bludgeoned Bell before using an electrical cord to shock the woman. After raping Lang, he used Bell's lipstick to draw the satanic pentagram symbol on her thigh as well as the walls on both bedrooms. The women were found two days later alive but camatose. Bell later died of her injuries. The next day, Ramirez drove to the same car to Burbank and sneaked into the home of Carol Kai, age 42. A gunpoint, at gunpoint, he bound Kai and her 11-year-old son with handcuffs, then ransacked the house. He released Kyle to direct him to where the family valuables uh, were. He then raped her repeatedly. Ramirez also repeatedly ordered her to not look at him, telling her at one point to, uh, he, that he would cut her eyes out. He fled the scene after retrieving the child from the closet and binding the two together again with handcuffs. On the night of July 2nd, 1985, he drove a stolen car to Arcadia and uh, randomly selected the house of Mary Lou, uh, Mary Lou Cannon, age 75, a widowed grandmother. After quietly entering Cannon's home, he found her asleep in her room. He bludgeoned her into unconsciousness with a lamp and then repeatedly stabbed her using a 10-inch butcher knife from her kitchen. She was found dead at the scene. On July 5th, 1985, Ramirez broke into a home in the uh, Sierra uh, Madre and 
bludgeoned 16-year-old Whitney Bennett with a tire iron as she slept in her room after searching in vain for a knife in the kitchen. Ramirez attempted to strangle the girl with a telephone cord. He stated that he was startled to see elect electrical sparks emanate from the cord. And when his victim began to breathe, he fled the, the house believing that Jesus Christ had intervened and saved her. Bennett survived the savage beating, although 70, 478 stitches were required to close the lacerations from her scalp. On July 7th, 1985, Ramirez uh, burglarized the home of Joyce Lewis, uh, Lucille Nelson, age 60, in Monetary Park, finding her asleep on her living room couch. He beat her to death by using his fists and kicking her in the head. A shoe print from the Avia sneaker was left imprinted on her face. After cruising two other neighborhoods, he returned to Monetary Park and chose the home of Sophie Dickman, age 63. Ramirez assaulted and handcuffed Dickman at gunpoint, attempted to rape her, and stole her jewelry. When she swore to him that he had taken every, everything out of value, he told her to swear on Satan. On July 20th, 1985, Ramirez purchased a machete before driving a stolen Toyota to Glendale, California. He chose the home of Lila uh, Ning, uh, Nigding, age 66, and her husband, Maxon, age 68. He burst into the sleeping couple's bedroom and hacked them with the machete, they then killed them with two shots to the head with a .22 caliber handgun. He further mutilated their bodies with the machete before robbing the house of the valuables after quickly fencing after quickly fencing the stolen items from the uh, Negning re residence, Ramirez drove to Sun Valley. At approximately 4.15 a.m., he broke into another home for the, the Kovanath family. He shot the sleeping Chiana Ron Kovanath in the head with a .25 caliber handgun, killing him instantly. He then repeatedly raped and beat some kid Kovanath. He bound the, uh, the couple's 8-year-old's son before dragging him. Some kid uh, around the house to reveal the location of any valuable items which he stole. During his assault, he demanded that she swear to Satan that she was not hiding any money from him. On August 6, 1985, Ramirez drove to Northridge and broke into the home and Chris Virginia Peterson. He crept into the bedroom, startled Virginia, age 27, and shot her in the face with a .25 caliber semi-automatic handgun. He then shot Chris in the, in the neck and attempted to flee. Chris fought back while avoiding being hit by two more shots during the struggle before Ramirez managed to escape. The couple survived their injuries. On August 8, 1985, Ramirez drove a stolen car to Diamond Bar, California and chose the home of Sakina Obwath, age 27, and her husband, Ilias uh, Obwath, age 31. Sometime after 2.30 a.m., he entered the house and went into the master bedroom. He instantly killed her, uh, killed the sleeping Ilias with a shot to the head from a .25 caliber handgun. He handcuffed and beat uh, Sakina while forcing her to reveal the locations of the family's jewelry and then raped her. He repeatedly d demanded that she swear on Satan that she would not scream during his assaults. When the couple's three-year-old son entered the bedroom, Ramirez tied the ch tied up child and then continued to rape Sakina after Ramirez left the home. Sakina you, you, uh, you untied her son and sent him to, to the neighbors for help. Ramirez, who had been following the media coverage of his crimes, left Los Angeles and headed to San Francisco. And on August 18, 1985, he entered the home of Peter and Barbara Pan. He shot the sleepy Peter H66 in the temple with a .25 caliber handgun. Then he then beaded and sexually assaulted Barbara H62 before shooting her in the head and leaving her for dead. At the crime scene, Ramirez used lipstick to scrawl a pentagram and the phrase Jack the Knife on the bedroom wall. Ramirez again left a shoe print on the scene that detectives discovered and matched it to a specific obvious shoe. Upon detectives' discovery to make the of the make and the United States distribution of 
Ramirez's obvious shoes. It was fun that only six of them existed in the size 11 and a half. With five of them shipped to Arizona, it was evident that the one pair of its size and bludgeoned uh, and it kind belonged to Richard. I'm sorry. When it was discovered that the ballistics and shoe print evidence from the Los Angeles crime scenes matches Pan's crime scene, San Francisco be following. San Francisco's then mayor, Diane Finstein, divulged the information, including the gun caliber. In a televised press conference, this leak infuriated the detectives in the case as they knew the killer would be following media coverage, which gave them opportunity to destroy crucial forensic evidence. Ramirez, who had been indeed watching the press, dropped his 11.5 Avia sneakers over the side to the Golden Gate Bridge that night. He remained in the area for a few more days before heading back to the Los Angeles area. On August 24, 1985, Ramirez traveled 60, 76 miles south of Los Angeles in a stolen orange Toyota to uh, Mission Viejo. That night, he arrived the night of, of James Romero Jr., who had returned from a family vacation to Rosero Beach in Mexico. Romero's son, 13-year-old James Romero III, happened to be awake and heard Ramirez's footsteps outside the house. Thinking that there was, pro uh, there, was uh, there was a prowler, James went to wake his parents and Ramirez fled the scene. James raced outside and, and noted the color, make, and style of the car, as well as a partial license plate number. Romero contacted the police with this information, believing James had chased away a thief. After this encounter, Ramirez broke into the, uh, to the house of Bill Carnes, age 30, and his fiance. In his Erickson, age 29, through a back door. Ramirez entered the sleeping couple's bedroom and awakened Carnes when he cocked his .25 caliber handgun. He shot Carnes three times in the head before turning his attention to Erickson. Ramirez told her that he was the Night Stalker and forced her to swear that she she loved and forced her to swear she loved Satan as he beat her with her fist with his fists and bound her with neckties from the closet. After stealing what he confined, Ramirez dragged Erickson to another be uh, room before raping her. He then demanded cash and more jewelry and made her swear on Satan. There is no more. Before leaving the home, Ramirez told Erickson, tell them that the night stalker was here. Erickson untied herself and went to the neighbor's house to get, to, to get help for her severely injured fiance. Surgeons removed two bullets from his head and he survived his injuries. Identification of Ramirez. Erickson gave a detailed description of the assailant to the investigators and police obtained a cast of Ramirez's footprints of the Romero house. The stolen car was found abandoned in uh, August 28th in Wilshire Center, Los Angeles, and police obtained a single uh, fingerprint from the rearview mirror despite Ramirez's uh, careful efforts to wipe the car clean of his prints. The print was positively identified as belonging to Ramirez, who was described as a 25-year-old drifter from Texas with a long rap sheet that included many arrests for traffic and illegal drug violations. On the 29th of August in 1985, law enforcement's official decided to release a mugshot of Ramirez from a 1984 arrest for uh, auto theft to the media. And the Night Stalker finally had a face. At the police uh, conference, it was announced, we know who you are now and soon everyone else will. There will be no place that, that you can hide. Other suspected victim. On the night of 27th, 1985, 32-year-old Petty uh, Elaine Higgins was murdered in her Arcadia home. The crime was not discovered until July 2nd when she would not show up for work. Her attacker had sodomized her, strangled her, and slashed her throat. Ramirez was charged with murder and burglary in relations to Higgins' murder. However, the charges against him in this case were eventually dropped due to lack of concrete physical evidence linking Higgins' murder to the Night Stalker crimes. Capture. On August 30th, 1985, Ramirez took a bus to Susan, Arizona to visit his brother, unaware that he had 
become the lead story in virtually every major newspaper and television news program across California. After failing to meet his brother, he returned to Los Angeles early in the morning of August 31st. He walked past uh, police officers who were staking out the bus terminals in hopes of catching the killer should he attempt to flee on an outbound bus and into a convenience store in East Los Angeles. After noticing a group of elderly Mexican uh, women fearfully identifying him as El Matador, the killer, Ramirez saw his face on his front on front pages on the newspaper rack and fled the store in panic. After running across the Santa Fe freeway, he attempted to carjack to carjack a woman, but was chased away by bystanders who pursued him. After hoping, after hopping over several fences and attempting two more carjackings, he was eventually subdued a group of by a group of residents one of whom had struck him over the head with a metal bar in pursuit. The group held Ramirez down and relentlessly beat him until the police arrived and took him into custody. Jury selection for the trial began on 20, the July 22, 1988, at his first court appearance. Ramirez raised a hand with a pentagram drawn on it and yelled, Hail Satan, on August 3, 1988. The Los Angeles Times reported that some jail employees overheard Ramirez planning to shoot the, uh, the prosecutor with a gun, which Ramirez intended to have uh, smuggled into the courtroom. Consequently, a metal detector was installed outside, and the extensive searches were conducted on people entering that day. On August 14th, the trial was interrupted because one of the jurors, Phyllis Singularity, did not arrive to the courtroom. Later that day, she was found shot to death in her apartment. The jury was terrified, wondering if Ramirez had somehow directed this event from the inside of the prison cell and whether or not he could reach other jurors. However, it is ultimately determined that Ramirez was not responsible for Singletary's death as she was shot and killed by her boyfriend who later committed suicide with the same weapon in a hotel. The alternate juror who replaced uh, Singletary was uh, too frightened to return to her home. On September 20th, 1989, Ramirez was convicted on all charges, 13 counts of murder, 5 attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, 14 burglaries during the penalty phase on the trial of November 7th, 1989. He was sentenced to die in California's gas chamber. He, say, he stated to reporters after the de this death sentences, big deal, death, uh, big deal, death always went with the territory. See you in Disneyland. Uh, the trial cost $1.8 million, $3.71 million in 2019 dollars, which at the time made it the most expensive history of California until surpassed by O.J. Simpson's murder case in 1994, which we'll touch on another day. <laughs> Romantic relationship. By the time of the trial, Ramirez had fans who were writing him letters and paying him visits. In the beginning in 1985, Doreen Loy wrote him nearly 75 letters during his incarceration. In 1988, Ramirez proposed, uh, proposed to Loy on October 3, uh, 3, 1996. They were married in California's San Quentin State Prison. For many years before Ramirez's death, Loy stated that she would commit suicide when Ramirez was executed. However, Loy eventually left Ramirez in 2009, and DNA confirmed that he had raped and murdered nine-year-old uh, nine uh, Mei Leung. By the time of his death in 2013, Ramirez was engaged to Christian Lee, a 23-year-old writer. On August 7, 2006, Ramirez's first round of state appeals ended unsuccessfully when the California Supreme Court upheld his convictions and death sentence. On September 7, 2006, the California Supreme Court denied his request for a rehearing. Ramirez had additional uh, appeals uh, pending until the time of his death. 
Psychiatrist Michael H. Stone describes Ramirez as a made as a made psychopath as opposed to a born psychopath. He says Ramirez's schizoid personality disorder contributed to his indifference to the suffering of his victims and his untreatability. Stone also stated that Ramirez was knocked unconscious and almost died on multiple occasions before he was six years old as a result for a later developed uh, temporal um, temporal lobe uh, epilepsy, aggressivity, and hypersexuality. Ramirez died of complications secondary to B-cell lymphoma at Marion uh, G uh, General Hospital in Green Bray, California on July 7th, on June 7th, 2013. He'd also been affected by chronic substance abuse and chronic hepatitis C viral infection at 53 years old. He had been on death row for more than 23 years. By some estimates, he would have been in his early 70s before his execution was carried out due to California's lengthy appeal process. And that was Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker. Now, to kind of go deep in depth with this, the man is obviously fucking crazy. But it just shows, it, it kind of really kind of shows that, you know, sometimes it starts in the home and uh, when it comes to all that mental health stuff. And that's a big thing that I've been noticing now. That a lot of kids or uh, older are finding these serial killers really fucking attractive. And I don't get what that is. I don't get what that is. I don't get what what the hype is. I don't I don't I don't get I don't get what it is, but I have the the philia or the fetish that is it's called it's called hybristophilia is a uh, is a sexual interest and attraction to those who commit crimes a paraphilia in in which sexual arousal arousal uh, facilitation and attainment of orgasm are responsive to and congenate upon being with a partner known to have committed a crime the term is derived from the creek word hub hubrazine meaning to commit an outrage against someone ultimately divide from hubris and filio have meaning having a strong affinity or presence for in popular culture this phenomenon is also known as the bonnie and clyde syndrome Many high-profile criminals, particularly those who have committed atrocious crimes, receive fan mail in prison that is sometimes a, 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 a sexual, presumably as a result of this phenomenon. In some cases, and admirers of these criminals have gone to marry the object of their affections in prison. They have causes for this, but at the same time, I don't believe in it, but I'm going to list it down. Uh, the causes for this is the low self-esteem and the lack of a father figure. Some believe they can change a man as cruel and powerful as a serial killer. Others see the little boy that the killer once was and seek to nurture him. A few hope to share in the media spotlight or get a book or a movie deal. Then there's the notion of the perfect boyfriend. She knows where he is at all times and she knows he's thinking about her. While he, she can claim that someone loves her, she does not have to the to endure the day-to-day -day issues involved in most relationships there's no laundry to do no cooking for him and no accountability to him he can keep the fantasy charged up for a long time so uh, others offered the reasons the lines of some mental health experts have compared infatuation with ser with serial killers to extreme forms of the of fantasies they view such women as insecure females who cannot find love in normal ways or as love avoidant females who seek romantic relationships that cannot be consuminated which obviously I disagree with because that is crazy 
to think that a serial killer is fucking hot. Okay? Like, I get it. Maybe maybe it's a fictional character. Like, I understand. But, like, real people here that have actually murdered somebody. That's, that's a little, like, worrying, to be honest with you. Um, in popular culture, Manhunt, Search for the Night Stalker, is a TV movie by Bruce Seth Green based on the true story of Richard Ramirez and the two Los Angeles police detectives who tried to track him down. Two Night Stalker films based on Ramirez... Uh, one in 2002 and one in 2009. One, the Night Stalker 2016 documentary film um, starring Lou Diamond Phillips as Ramirez. If you don't know who Lou Diamond Phillips is, Lou Diamond Phillips is an, um, uh, a very underrated actor. Uh, you might know him from Stand and Deliver if you've seen that in school. I, I did. Good movie, by the way. I, I really suggest it. And he does look like Richard Ramirez. It's kind of, well, not really, but I don't know. American Horror Story. In 1984, uh, he was also portrayed in the fifth season. But holy shit, can we? Can we? Can, can I will talk about 1984 in a minute. That shit is the worst season like ever. But I'll get to that in a minute. Just a guy is a 2020 documentary film about Ramirez and the women he corresponded with. And the Night Stalker, the Hunt for the Serial Killer, is a do- 2021 documentary uh, released by Netflix, featuring first-person interviews, archival footage, and newly shot reenactments in the original photography related to the case. Which I am actually gonna check out. That I didn't know was coming out. That's really interesting. I'm gonna watch that for sure. It came out January 13th, 2021. I'm definitely going to watch that. Anyway, um, yeah, so people, I don't, and that's been a thing recently. Like, I, like every single time I've been going on Instagram, there's there's people out there that, that fantasize dating, like, somebody like a, like, like the Columbine shooters. Or the the Stoneman Douglas shooter or anything like that. And that's a that's a big problem. That's a big, big problem. And I'm not and I I, mean, I don't look I'm trying not to get banned on Spotify today. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's gonna happen. But I just really, really think that it should be it's just worrying. It's really, 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 really worrying. I, I can't touch any 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 further on it. I'm just I just shocking to, to to know that people really get infatuated by serial killers. I mean, infatuated meaning sexually wanting to date them, wanting to be their girlfriends and stuff like that. And look, you cannot nurture somebody who doesn't want to change their ways, especially a serial killer. That is fucking crazy. Especially somebody who's done fucking mass murder, like like a Columbine shooter, or like Richard Ramirez, for example. If we're talking about the 1980s, and this had a lot to do with the relation of the Satanic Panic, which um, I was gonna make an episode about it, but there's really not a lot to talk about because it is a false ideology. And although it is very interesting to to talk about this this episode, uh, kind of caused. Um, the the satanic panic of the 1980s to really happen um 
even though the the origins came from Canada by an author called uh, I can't remember his name, but and uh, his he did a psychiatrist patient. He he was talking to a psychiatrist patient who was claimed to be sexually abused, uh, raved by a satanic cult, and was saved by Jesus, obviously, and the psychiatrist and helping her to do all those things. And uh, Richard Ramirez was 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 making it, you know even bigger due to the fact that he was Satanist and that, oh, if you were Satan, you were going to be just like Richard Ramirez and all that, all that good jazz and whatever. So, but that's kind of like, that's a whole, that's a whole nother thing. It's not really like, you can't really go deep to death about it because the satanic panic was a big, like just giant scare. And it hasn't really ended either. You know what I mean? It hasn't really ended either because, I wore a say I wore a Baphomet shirt. I have a Baphomet shirt and all that stuff. I'm not a Satanist. I just I'm a metalhead. So I, you know what I mean. I I'm, I I wear it because you know it's part of kind of like the the aesthetic. Same for just gothic gothic and 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 um all uh, gothic and grunge and all that stuff. It's just kind of the aesthetic. Is just to just a oh uh, if I just wanted to offend people, just slap a Baphomet shirt and just some some skinny jeans or some band joggers and whatever and boom. You know what I mean? And I, I get looks all the time whenever I wear that shit. But you know, one time I did get approached saying I need Jesus. It just happens. So it, it hasn't really left. It's just not as prominent as it was in the nineteen eighties. Um but yeah, that was as to as to conf- to to end this episode of the Dark Academy podcast. I hope you really enjoyed this one. Uh, very crazy, deep in depth. We went here. Um, really sad cases, by the way, and um, I'm really interested to watch that Netflix documentary. I'm gonna watch that tonight. <laughs> the minute I'm done here. Um, but I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode of the Dark Academy podcast. Um, if you do, please hit the follow button. And if you would like to follow the podcast on the social media, uh, follow at the Dark Academy podcast on Instagram. And uh, here you'll see like updates and whatever on next episodes and whatever. So I hope you guys really enjoyed this episode. And I go hope you guys have a great week. And I will see you next Monday for episode four. Have a great day. <laughs>